Tonight on a mini but mighty episode, I talk with director Stephen C. Miller about his newest horror movie, Margot, where it went right, where it went wrong, and how the hell they pulled it all together in just 18 days. All that and more, but first, turn off the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall into Haunting Season's Horror Talk. Good evening, world, and welcome to Horror Talk, the show where I talk to fellow creators about their love of horror. Before we dive into the short but incredible interview I got with Steven, I want to tell you a little bit about the movie. My connections at Paramount sent me an early screener to the movie Margot before it came out, and that came with an opportunity to talk to the director. This is actually the first time this has happened. In a previous mini-episode, I released my conversation with the writer-director team behind Significant Other, but this one actually happened first. In fact, it was like a day before I left for Africa. I was nervous. A real horror director. One-on-one. Over Zoom. I made sure to watch the movie at full attention, to make notes, and to try and come up with questions that maybe other people might not ask, which I think I did an okay job at in this one, but it's something I want to get better at moving forward for sure. Anyway, here's what I said on TikTok about the movie. You better treat the robots right, because one day your smart home might take revenge on you for all the little mundane things you made her do. After a twisted cold open that had my jaw on the floor, Margot starts off the main story very much like Cabin in the Woods, where we meet some hot college kids, a nerd hacker, a privileged influencer, and her boyfriend, a nice guy with a dirty flirty side, his frisky girlfriend, and of course, the mustachioed hippie with a makeshift bubbler blazed and confused from the get-go. The car full of kids scoot up into the woods where they arrive at a smart home that is beyond anything we've ever seen. In fact, the entire thing is technically a 3D printer that can do anything it wants. And that's exactly how the house becomes the slasher. There are elements of this film that remind me of classics like The Haunting, House on Haunted Hill, but also Ex Machina. The story is a formula we've seen before, over and over, but with fresh twists, wonderful practical effects mixed with eh, decent CGI. But it all comes together nicely in a way that leaves you thinking, you better treat the robots right because one day your smart home might take revenge on you for all the little mundane things you made her do. I don't share this too often because it's kind of counter to everything that I do, but sci-fi is straight up my favorite genre, especially when merged with horror. Give me anything cosmic horror and it's like a cure-all for anything wrong in my life. Give me futuristic robots, aliens, and space travel, and I'm just a buttery bowl of glee committed to staying in that film or book for eternity. I love the future. While Margot is more of a 15 years from now type of sci-fi, it still tickled that nerve for me, and to package all that in the skin of a slasher movie is just too much fun. Look, it's a teen college movie. I don't want to overhype it and have you think it's some sort of mind-breaking piece of brilliance. It's not. It's a good slasher with a creative angle, but like I've been saying quite often, know what you're signing up for and you're going to have a great time. So once I finished the film, I got my questions together and I hopped on the Zoom with the director, Stephen C. Miller, and here's what we talked about. Hey Josh, how are you? 
All right, what's going on? No, chilling. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm just excited to do this. I haven't gotten to talk to too many actual directors. I, I work in the industry. I do uh, video production, but it's usually on the documentary side. So, uh, and as you can see, I'm a I'm a fan of horror. So, this is Dude, pretty you're exciting an avid for me. Collector, avid collector. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I run a TikTok called Haunting Season, where uh, I talk about kind of actually a lot of movie reviews. And I was really excited to watch this one. It was um, surprisingly good, I think, because, <laughs> well, I mean, we'll get into it. Uh, I have some yeah. questions prepared for you. The house in the film is one of the main characters and it's magnificent to look at even before you learn about any of the AI capabilities inside. Did you find the house or build the house for the movie? No, we actually found it. We shot up in Vancouver. We found, we found it in a small town called Squamish. It was just nestled in the middle of nowhere, right at the base of a mountain. It was beautiful. Uh, we did build some of the interiors because we were doing so much havoc to the house. Yeah, exploding uh, glass and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were, we were destroying. And it was like one of those things where immediately I was like, guys, we can't destroy this beautiful home. It's so gorgeous. The homeowners will, you know, kill us. So we did do several rooms built on a soundstage. And that's a big credit to my production designer, Tyler Heron, who matched this house uh wall for wall on those places wow that's in that's incredible um i you really couldn't tell i mean other than you know being in the uh the holodeck at the at the bottom of the house you, you really couldn't tell that we were on a set at all so margo as a film feels like it could have just been another teen scary movie but i was pleasantly surprised to find it was a lot more elevated than that if it was a formula we're really familiar with but the characters were deeper than i expected the plot was more surprising and original and there was a clear message about our future as a species what contributed to taking this film to that next level that so many other films missed the mark on? You know, I, I love 80s horror films. And I think a lot of 80s horror films early on tried to do that with their concepts to sort of take them to the next level. And I think you're right. Like a lot of films now, I think, play it really safe. That's always been something that I've tried to go against. I, I try to push the level or, you know, push the insanity button. And I think for me, when I was reading this, it felt like something we could actually take to a different degree. And, you know, you I watched films like Ex Machina and things like that, that that always seemed to move the camera a certain way that that instilled what the house was or what was happening inside the house. And that's sort of something I wanted to bring to the movie because the house was such a character was was sort of give that sort of same type of level of filmmaking. Yeah, I got vibes of Ex Machina too, and of um, a haunting and uh, the house on Haunted Hill, especially with the bed scenes. So multiple times in the movie, you think you know exactly where it's gonna go. And you start, you know, you do this with any movie, you start thinking like, oh yeah, this is exactly what's gonna happen. And then there's this surprise where the next kill is not what you thought it was gonna be. And it's kind of just completely twisted off off the rails. How much of that was in the writing when you got the script from the writers? And how much of that was in the directing and the editing? And at what process did you come on in the in the you know in the process of making the film? I came on after the script was pretty much there. And then my formula always is is to come in and rework the kill scenes or action scenes, depending on what genre I'm working in. And that always is done in tandem with the writers. Like I'm dealing with them daily and talking about, hey, how can we take these kills to the next level or how can we make them, you know, different or how can we make them feel formulaic and then turn it on its head. And that's sort of like the way we went with the writers. And that was sort of built in with me and them. And we were working it until the day we shot it to get things to feel more exciting, more fun. And then you add my editor, Greg, into the mix, who is a wild 
guy from Texas, and he just has a really cool vibe when he puts anything together. And so he had a lot of fun cutting some of these pieces together. So it really is a group effort on how we decided to come up with the way the kills worked and how they sort of maneuvered on camera. So that was something for me that was really important. Yeah, and, and there was a really nice balance between the CGI and the practical effects. I felt that that's what really made the CGI work for me in this film, was the combination of that with practical gore. Can you talk about the importance of that balance and how you navigated that and, and where the, you know, your passion lies between the two? I said I'm an 80s horror geek. Like, so when I'm watching 80s horror films, it's things I can touch, physically see. They're there on camera. And that's a big deal for me, is to try to get as much as I possibly can in camera. I mean, we went into this actually 3D printing and building the robotic arms to use on set. Of course, it was the Jaws effect where they just didn't work ever. Uh, <laughs> and so like, you know, it was just too difficult to have these things, big, huge puppeteered arms, which we originally did to try to maneuver with the actors and work. And, you know, when you're shooting a movie like this in such a small amount of time, you just don't have time to deal with those kind of problems on set. So um, it was something where unfortunately we had to push to VFX, but I did think they did, a great job again with a movie of this size like it's very difficult to get really great visual effects but i thought they did a great job with the time they were given to do that but my ultimate goal with anything is like as much practical as i can push the better uh, i think it's more fun and that's specifically for audiences nowadays who are so conditioned to visual effects i feel like practical effects feel very different and weird to them and so in, in a fun way and that they they sort of feel like this is this is cool. So that's something why, you know, I, I really try to do that as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I specifically appreciated it in the cold open, because I think a lot of times if you haven't heard of a movie or you're just popping it on because it's on a streaming service, you're checking that first 10 minutes to be like, is this for me? And it had uh, I, I mean, I don't want to give anything away in the edit of this, but, um, you know, it had that great scene with the chair and then the explosion of sparks and the slow motion. And I immediately settled in and was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to like this movie. This they, the filmmaker knows what they're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. That to me is a very important piece. Those opening 10, 15 minutes for an audience, especially with a movie like this, to grab them and, and tell them, hey, this is what the movie is going to be. I mean, we had so many discussions with the studio as far as is that too big of an opening? Do we blow our wad too early? And I just kept saying, no, let the audience go to the extreme right off the bat. Let me tell them what this movie is going to be. So there's no if, ands, or buts about what they're about to get into. Yeah. Um, I went to school for acting, and I always found that fear and terror were the absolute hardest things to portray in, in a realistic way. As a director, how do you work with the actors in horror films like this to get those performances out of them? You know, you really rely on them to bring what they do the best, and that, and that is uh, giving you a great performance. But, I mean, you really rely on them telling you a lot of personal information to really sort of try to use that with them and hone in on what this character is dealing with and try to tie that into something they've dealt with in the past and kind of tap in to that sort of memory or, or uh, emotion and, and really try to bring that to the screen because, I mean, you're, you're getting a very short amount of time and very short amount of takes to get that kind of a performance. So you really have to sort of hit a certain note very early on with them that they sort of can recreate and find every time you're giving them, you know, small direction. I, I really try not to harp on actors too much with too many crazy odd lines of direction. You know what I mean? I really uh -huh. try to, to give them very something very specific that they can find and, and meditate on it and then push it out instead of trying to come up with, you know, 
whatever, you know, words that feel like that's what they should be feeling. I want them to sort of find it and then hone in on that. I, I know one of the other references I caught in this was a sort of, I mean, it's a cabin in the woods vibe, you know, I, yeah. other films had done it before, but it's a, it's like a 1980s setup of you've got the the nerd and you've got the pothead and the jock and the celebrity girl. Was that part of what drew, drew you into this script was that it felt like an 80s setup? Definitely felt classic. Cabin in the woods is a great example too, because I, that's a movie I watched uh, when prepping for this movie and just how they, sort of took those tropes and flipped them around as much as possible. And that's really what I, you know, was excited about because I love those kind of tropes. I love those kind of dynamics and what that brings to the movie. And, and these just having that little bit of a different edge with the technological things that are happening in each person's life and how connected they are to those devices. Uh, that also is just something that really drew me to the project. You mentioned the timeline earlier. What was the timeline for the shooting of this film? <laughs> We shot, we shot the movie. I mean, I got there. Uh, we prepped the movie in about four weeks. We shot the movie in 18 days. And then we edited wow. the movie in six weeks. <laughs> so like, so there was not a lot of time. Uh, and when I say there's not a lot of time, and there's no time uh, yeah. to shoot, you know, six characters in a house, which might sound somewhat easy. It's just not when you need to get each one of their perspective and you're trying to get each one of them screen time and you're trying to make sure each one of them has a, a, an arc of some kind to get them on screen. So not an easy task, but the, the crew and cast were amazing. They were up for it. They were down to get crazy. And, you know, they, they had a blast. Was there anything that just, I guess, aside from, you already talked about the robot arms, but was there anything that was particularly challenging about the filming process that you were not anticipating after pre-production? Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't anticipating how difficult the actual nexus of the house would be, where it was just sort of like its its brain and trying to create that. Because again, we went in trying to think what we do it practical and we ended up doing a lot of it visual effects, but <clears throat> it was just difficult because trying to get that perspective of what I really wanted the room to feel like or look like and this goo to be working and how that was gonna feel so it, that was probably the most challenging part of the movie. Your first film out of school, at least as I found on IMDb, was a horror film that you made for about $30,000. What advice would you give to someone like myself who's looking to make their own horror indie film, but, you know, in 2022? Well, I mean, look, and it's been long enough now I can really tell you, like, real numbers. Like, I mean, we made that movie for, like, six grand. I would say, you know, for I get a lot of people asking me the same question about what should we do? Should we make short films? I love short films. But I always felt like, for me, it was always about features. And I always felt like you can really tell if you're made to do it or not by just shooting a feature. A short film, you know, to me is like, you know, you're in and you're out. You can tell a small story, but can you sustain that story for an hour and a half? I mean, and does that really fit with what you want to do and how hard that sort of is? Like, I think for me and, and trying to say what I think people should do, I, I, I didn't get out and shoot and make a movie. And whether it it's awesome or not, it doesn't matter. I think what it does is it gives you a real look at yourself and what you're capable of doing. And if it's something you want to continue to do, because to be honest, it, it has to be a passion. And so a hobby is cool. But if you're not passionate about it and feel like you could do this day in and day out, whether or not you're making a living at it or not is for you is, is a challenge. Yeah, I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I'm in video production for uh, documentary stuff. And, and people are always like, oh, it's so cool. You know, what a, what a relaxing, fun job you have. And it's, uh, it's <laughs> a lot of long nights, a lot of, a lot of extra days. How, yeah. how has that changed from being an indie film director just out of college to now, you know, having a feature film that's going to be widely available? 
you know, it doesn't feel like it's changed. It just feels like I have more, <laughs> you know, I have more people deal. I'm dealing with more people on decisions uh, that I'm trying to make. Um, but as far as like the grind and the day in and the day out of what entails to make a movie and what you're continually doing every, even when the movie's over, you know, everybody else gets to go home, but we have to sit there with it for however much longer to keep it going and get it finished. I, I feel like the struggle is still real. But I think that's a good thing. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me excited. It keeps me pushing to do more insane, creative things. So I don't think that struggle ever lightens up, which I think is not a bad thing. What do you do for your mental health in between? I, I hang out with my kids as much as possible. I, I watch their softball games. I watch their soccer games. I detach from everything uh, electronics-wise, which is funny this movie is about. Um, but I really <laughs> detach from all of that, uh, you know, for a few hours a day and just Uh, hone in on what they're doing and sometimes that means going back to some and playing some Fortnite with my son but you know i i do it and we have a lot of fun so that's really what keeps me sane yeah that's great so what's next Uh, if you can talk about it yeah what's next i just finished shooting a movie in puerto rico with frank grillo it's basically a werewolf pandemic and the population is finding out that on this full moon they are all wolfing out and frank grillo is battling his way through werewolves to try to get back home to his family and it's (laughs) insane practical werewolf film built from the same guys who built the predator cost you know costumes and so so, uh these guys built me some amazing werewolf creatures that look amazing oh that's so exciting does it have a name and a release date yet it's called year two i assume that name probably won't stick but hopefully you know it'll be next year we're just still in the edit so i'm dealing with that right now i think it'll be next year sometime all right we'll just have to keep an eye on your imdb Thanks so much for doing this. Um, If there's anything else you want to say, but uh, that's all the questions I have for today. No, man, I really appreciate you having me on. This is really cool. That's it for the show today. For all you listening, please go find the movie Margo and give it a little watch. I think it's on Paramount Plus now, and maybe I'll put a link below if I can find it, but it might be on you to find this one for yourself. If you like these conversations and you want to hear more, the most helpful thing you can do is subscribe to Haunting Season right here where you're listening now. If you have time to write a review, that helps with the ranking too, big time. If you want to watch my horror movie reviews and other generally spooky short form content, you can follow Haunting Season on TikTok. Every follow gets me closer and closer to being able to do these big things that are going on in my head that I just cannot wait to show you. I have such sights to show you. It's all for you. And one last thing, if you're interested in hearing my original scary stories with 360 degree soundscapes, it's my favorite thing that I do. It's the closest thing to a Haunting Season movie so far. You can find them in season one of the podcast or on YouTube under a name you're never going to guess in a million years. I I say it every time. It's haunting season. It's all haunting season. Links, of course, in the show notes. Haunting season and horror talk were created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. It's a joint production with Believe Limited and Mac Gillen. The show's edited by Todd Jackson with support from Kay Vermeil and is produced by Keith Cornerlock. All the music in the show was created for Haunting Season by the Northern Synth Lord, North Innsbruck. Their music rocks. It's synthy and amazing. It's linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Come back next time because we're more likely to survive if we stick together. <laughs>